Hello, and welcome to another car episode of Chatting with Abby. Uh, I skipped last week because I really thought we were going to get a Supreme Court ruling on Dobbs, and I was wrong. I made the mistake of believing rumors, which on Twitter can work and cannot work. And the rumors were saying we were probably, as a result of the assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh, probably going to get a ruling uh, on that Monday, and we didn't. Uh, So I had a guest lined up to talk about the ruling as soon as it came down, and that episode was going to be released, and that was a gamble that did not pay off. So uh, apologies for not having an episode last week. Uh, Brief comment on the state of the Supreme Court. And this is just my personal opinion, kind of knowing some of the history of the court and uh, character of of Chief Justice Roberts. Chief Justice Roberts' strength and weakness are two sides of the same coin, in my opinion. He is obsessed with maintaining the integrity of the court. He is very much a process guy, almost to, well, arguably to an autistic degree. And that is not to disparage him in any way. He has a very, very strong uh, need to preserve the integrity of the court as he perceives it. So there have been cases where we have been, as conservatives, very frustrated with him for handing down a squishier ruling for the sake of unity on the court. And that has been the weakness side of the coin. And in this case, I believe that he always intended the Dobbs ruling to be the very last ruling handed down this season uh, so that they could hand it down and then the justices presumably could get out of town and and be safe when uh, the riots start. And I think that that, on the one hand, you could make an argument that that prioritizes the lives of the justices over the lives of the unborn who continue to die every day that this ruling is not handed down. And at the same time, it is quite normal for the highest profile case to be released last in in the term. Um, And I think that there are good reasons for that. Um, And losing losing a justice or more than one justice um, at this point in a democratic democratic presidency could be absolutely disastrous because if one of them is assassinated we we get a Biden pick on the court which would be horrible uh, the assassination would be horrible every part of that situation would be horrible so I do understand why his original plan would have been for a variety of reasons to release that ruling last and I I believe that because that was his plan because that was likely his plan. Even though the decision was leaked, as we all know, and even though there's been an assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh, I think that Chief Justice Roberts believes that any deviation from the plan would indicate that the, that the court can be intimidated, coerced, that, that any change to the process, to the schedule, would indicate um, cracks in the court would indicate that this thing he's obsessed with, the integrity of the court, had been compromised. And I I think that Chief Justice Roberts is the type of man who is very, very stubborn to the process. And um, 
say what you will about that. Uh, disagree with that all day long. But I think a lot of people have been saying he's not releasing it because he's a coward. Or he's not releasing it because he's trying to sway the decision. And I don't think that that's true. If anything, I think that Chief Justice Roberts' obsession with the court's integrity um, would mean good things for that ruling to be exactly the same as is basically what we saw um pretty pretty close to exactly the same because i think that the thing that horrifies him more than a wrong decision uh, and i think we've seen this is is a lack of integrity on the court so that's just my personal take. I could end up being very, very wrong, but I do think we're going to see that ruling very last possible case unless he sees the gun case as being um, more explosive, in which case we might, no pun intended, uh, in which case we might see it second to last, possibly on the same day. So that's my prediction on that. That was kind of a long caveat to start this episode off with, this episode not being about that really at all, I wanted to talk about some of my experience with the drag queen community on Twitter over the weekend. So this all started off with, I I was inspired by a tweet by Matt Walsh that was similar, uh, in a similar vein, and I tweeted, uh, drag is to women what blackface is to black people. And let me elaborate on that real quick before anyone gets up in arms. Blackface uh, is the application of makeup to look like a, to make a white person look like a black person to play that black person in some sort of um, film, sketch, you know, whatever it is. And uh, generally, that has been accompanied by uh, pantomiming ridiculous caricatures of black people. Um, the, the way that the Old South, and really the old United States, viewed black people as being subhuman, um, ridiculous, stupid, not really able to think for themselves, just very childish, um, all of the ways, and this was very, this was very evil, and I've, I've seen uh, one, one movie that was made during that time period where blackface was used, um, and it, it is, it is really awful. I, I can completely understand why black people in America today look at that and say, no, no, this thing was so awful that even if it's, that it can't be redeemed, that, that there's no reason why this should continue. It's very offensive. Um, I, I think that in general complaining about, you know, somebody else's, um, art, even if it's in poor taste is, I think that, I think that they have the right to complain but at the same time, the chokehold that the woke crowd has over all all creators is is a little bit ridiculous to me. So, but I do I do completely agree that it that it is offensive and that it it shouldn't shouldn't be done. Um, I don't 
necessarily agree with canceling people for doing blackface when they had no idea how offensive it was, but that is an, another thing. It's the same thing for being canceled for old tweets when, like, holding people accountable for rules that they were never, they were never told, they were never taught, and definitely applying those rules differently, because obviously they don't care that Justin Trudeau wore blackface. They don't care that the former governor of Virginia wore blackface. They, they don't care when a Democrat does it. They only care when a political opponent commits a woke crime, and then they can prosecute them in the court of public opinion for that woke crime. Anyways, one of the reasons for blackface in its origination was uh, to keep men... Uh, to keep black people, I apologize, out of those roles. So white people would play those roles uh, in black makeup rather than letting a, a black person play those roles. And drag is, to some extent, similar. Um, now, not all applications have, of men dressing as w women for film uh, or or performance have been bad. Uh, I think movies like Mrs. Doubtfire are just like good, funny, good fun. Um, if you're not familiar with Mrs. Doubtfire, it's a it's a man who uh, is strange from his wife, and he really wants to see his kids, and she's uh, keeping him from seeing his kids, and so he dresses up as a old female nanny and uh, gets hired as the nanny. And so it's, it's, it's a man dressed as a woman. Um, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't really enjoy Mrs. Doubtfire, but I, it's not, that's not what I'm complaining about when I complain about drag. Let's put it that way. Um, and, and so my, my, to my knowledge, the earliest applications of drag were in uh, old theater, uh, in, as early as like ancient Greece, uh, potentially earlier, but um, notably in Shakespearean theater, where basically w women weren't women weren't allowed to play those roles. They all all of the roles in these plays were played by men, and the females, Juliet and Romeo and Juliet, would be a man dressed as a woman, and he would be playing her in almost a mocking way. In the same way that blackface was not just dressing up like a black person, but also a mockery of black people, um, drag from hundreds and hundreds of years ago has had a long history of mocking women. Um, but the drag that exists today, the drag that is increasingly popular today, is not only um, continuing to be a mockery of femininity uh, and a caricature of it, an exaggeration of, of all the most sort of vain and superficial elements of femininity, a mockery of beauty, a mockery of an exaggeration of female features, but also a hypersexualization, almost a a performance by men of what they perceive as the sexuality of women. And I, I, I see drag and men, men in drag, uh, the type, the type and flavor of it that exists today 
as being a sexual objectification of women um, on par with really the worst types of sexual objectification of women that feminists complain about all the time. Uh, Just seeing women as objects that are meant to be beautiful and superficial and there's there's no heart and soul there to care about she just exists for sexual pleasure i there are so many cases in which feminism complains about something that is more or less valid it might not be as pervasive as feminism claims it to be but a lot of what feminism complaints about, particularly with regard to sexual objectification and sexual assault and and all of these things, um, those things do exist and they are worth being discussed and addressed. However, when feminism ignores those things in circumstances like drag and in circumstances like male inmates identifying as women and then sexually assaulting all the women in the women's prison. It's, um, it's things like that that make me not take feminism seriously, along with some of the things that feminism complains about that are not particularly valid, such as the wage gap. But this is not a podcast about feminism, is it? No, Abby, get back on track. Fine. Okay. Back to drag. So I have an issue with drag on its face. Um, I, I do find it offensive as a woman, the way that that men get up there with all sorts of makeup and make a mockery and hypersexualization of women, um, I find it similarly distasteful. Not for the same reasons, but sort of on par distasteful to just regular strippers. I think that regular strippers. Uh, show more and have more of a issue in some areas uh, and drag has more of an issue in other areas but I kind of hold them in similar distaste. I don't necessarily think that either strippers or drag queens should be outlawed. I don't necessarily think that everything that is morally wrong and morally distasteful and offensive to me personally should be outlawed. Um, I do think that there's a lot of space for people to choose uh, whether or not to participate in something wrong uh, from the very beginning of time. God didn't make all sin uh, uh, illegal in a worldly way, uh, politically illegal. Uh, he, He gave a choice, he said. Um, here's the tree. I have given you this tree. You could eat from it or you could not eat from it. God's always seemed to want the choice to be present in the society because he wants us to choose him and he wants us to choose what's right. So I don't necessarily think eliminating these things sometimes is the way to go. However, uh, we are seeing more and more, uh, and part of this is, I think, due to Pride Month, a lot always the rainbow crowd uh, seems to ramp up what they're doing and take it a step further each year during pride month because it's illegal to criticize them apparently during pride month Um, and because it is their month that they really gather a lot of steam and a lot of force behind uh, their movement 
But also, we're seeing this more because Libs of TikTok, a wonderful account on Twitter that you should definitely be following if you're not already, um, has increasingly done a great job of covering this, that more and more we are seeing parents who are taking their children to drag events, that there are drag events that are billed as family-friendly, welcoming children. We have all, I think, heard about Drag Queen Story Hour, which is a uh, cross-country push in schools to and, and libraries to have uh, these sessions where drag queens are paid with tax dollar, with tax dollars, quite a lot of money to come in dressed in drag uh, and read books to kids uh, as an effort to normalize this sort of behavior really, really young. It is, it is very, very much a indoctrination attempt. Um, really, really disgusting. And there's, there's obviously a spectrum of drag. There are drag queens who they, they, they dress in all of the, the exaggerated female features. It's, it's a man, uh, that looks like a woman in a lot of ways, but it's off in other ways. Cause you can never really hide. You can, you can never really apply quite enough cosmetic to not look like a man. There's something, um, cognitively jarring about it, certainly. But, uh, oftentimes the ones that come to libraries and do the drag queen story hour, they are wearing full gowns. They're not wearing lingerie. Um, it's not as sexualized in that circumstance. So it's easy to put something in a quick tweet, uh, without nuance. Um, but I am not pretending that every single instance of drag is hypersexualized or that every single instance of drag is specifically mocking women. I think that they're I think that it's distasteful across the board. Uh, pretty much all cross-dressing is is a bit distasteful, and uh, the more makeup is involved, <laughs> and the fewer clothing clothing items are involved, le- the less fabric. What am I even saying? Anyway, you get the picture. the The more distasteful it is, I think that there is there are varying degrees of ick that drag can be, but. The more that this is being pushed on children, that's what I think should be illegal. I think that it should be illegal to um, have a drag event for children, to perform drag in front of children. I think it should be illegal for a man dressed in lingerie to dance suggestively in front of small children. I think that if you are performing um, a overtly sexual pantomime in front of small children that is definitionally pedophilic. I think that that's the sort of thing where you call if you see that happening, you don't you don't complain. You don't yell or stomp your foot. At least that's not all you do. I think you call the police because we should be calling these things what they are. I don't think we should have to have separate laws about drag than the laws that already exist. We already have laws about lewd behavior in front of children. We already have laws about um, sexual sexual misconduct, sexual um, not quite assault because they're not they're not touching the kids. Uh, at least we haven't seen that 
much yet uh, in these public spaces. Um, but what they're doing is al- is already arguably illegal and should be treated as such. It's insane to me that people let themselves get fooled by the makeup and forget that these are grown men uh, dancing suggestively for children um, because that that is illegal in most places so <laughs> uh, it makes me so mad but go see the videos on lips of TikTok um, Twitter over the weekend or the tail end of last week uh, some internal messages were linked where it was clear that Twitter was trying to shut down lips of TikTok just for shedding light on these events um, which it, it's incredible to me that just shining a light on something, not even commenting on it, but just saying, this is what is happening. Look at what is happening. Uh, they, they want to shut down that speech. They do not want us to know what they're doing to their kids. They're very proud of what they're doing to our kids, but they do not want us to notice it. Um, cause we're getting, we're starting to get more and more, uh, angry mama bear, conservative parents and conservatives have been so weak and so quiet for so long about so many things and to watch people finally put their feet down and say no this is this is not okay no drag for my kids no no um uh cognitive abuse (laughs) cognitive sexual abuse um no sexual um discourse in front of my children None of this gender ideology indoctrination for my children. These are the things that are making parents uh, start to fight. And we should have done it a long time ago. But honestly, better late than never. They say uh, with trees that the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago, right? Uh, And the second best time is right now. And uh, the best time to have started fighting this stuff was 10 years ago. But the second best time is right now. Um, so we should definitely do that. So I tweeted that tweet over the weekend and it, uh, it, it really picked up, picked up speed pretty fast. Um, it was getting close to a thousand likes and it started getting noticed and picked up by some, some fairly large drag queen accounts. And when I say large, they, they were between 10,000 followers and, and 25,000 followers. I don't think there was anyone bigger than that, that that I know of. But it started being, uh, quote, tweeted, spread around, commented on by some of these uh, verified larger drag queen accounts. And it started getting uh, insane amounts of attack from the drag community uh, random white people, random, well, maybe not random, but black people, um, people who were mad for a variety of reasons. Um, some were mad that I had compared it to blackface saying there's no comparison. How dare you, a white woman compare this perfectly good thing to blackface. Um, but most of the comments were from drag queens. I have never had so many drag queens uh, talk to me in my life. It was a really interesting experience because while I am very, very active on Twitter and I've had uh, pretty, pretty viral tweets in the past, 
and I've had plenty of interaction with Libs on Twitter. Um, have have had uh, up until that tweet, I had had one death threat uh, on Twitter, and and plenty of angry comments, but never have I experienced such a massive uh, kind of coordinated attack. I. The way that I kind of put it to myself was I've been fighting the culture war for a long time, but not on the front lines. And that was one of the the first time, probably the first time that I have experienced what the front line of the fight is like to to any degree at all. And and even then, I wasn't experiencing it the way that somebody like Libs of TikTok experiences it every day, that somebody like uh, Matt Walsh or Ben Shapiro experiences it every day. But I did get a taste of it, and it was it was messier and and felt different than than I could have imagined and I definitely um wasn't as strong as I as I hoped I would be. I had tweeted the original tweet and then a couple more tweets about drag after that. And uh I got scared my my death threat pile was stacking up. Uh, I was getting some pretty horrible uh, tweets and DM requests. I don't have my DMs completely open, but I do have it so, set so that people can send message requests. And uh, I could I could have closed them, but I do find it informative to see what people are sending me uh, because people are willing to say things in DMs that they would never say on main. And so it's interesting to be able to screenshot those, which I did, and I posted uh all of the, the terrible DMs that I got. There was a handful of them. I'll get back to that in a minute. But the thing that really scared me um, was once once the larger drag queen accounts picked me up and put my tweet out there, I could tell that I was probably getting mass reported. And there comes a point where in the Twitter climate, if you get mass reported, you're going to get taken down. And there's a really hard to appeal that stuff. And so, um, my good, uh, commie friend, shoe on head, um, (laughs) took a look at the tweet and she said, Abby, you are absolutely going to lose your account. Um, and she suggested that I, that I delete it, um, because no matter how many reports you get, apparently, uh, you can't get taken down if you've already deleted it before they get around to reviewing those reports. And so I, I took her advice and I went ahead and deleted that one, which I stand by my decision to delete that one because I think that the, the blackface tweet was the one that was gonna, going to get my account taken down. Um, but I, in, in the fear of the moment, deleted a couple more tweets about drag that uh, I do very much regret deleting. I had no good reason to delete them and it was just a moment of fear and um, I want to be a better culture warrior than that but one of the ones I deleted, silver lining to deleting it I think was, I didn't realize at the time but a uh, 20-ish thousand account drag queen account called Mrs. Darby had quote tweeted it before I deleted it. Um, and just, uh, it, it was a tweet that said something to the effect of drag is not only a mockery of women. Uh, it's a, it's a gross hypersexualization, something like that. And this man had quote tweeted it just 
with a photo of himself dressed in drag and wearing a hamburger costume. Um, and I think that the point of that was like, this isn't a hypersexualization. See, I'm wearing a hamburger. But I don't think it really made the point he thought it was making. Um, I didn't feel particularly uh, threatened by the picture of him in a hamburger. But after I deleted it, he took the, his screenshot and reposted it and said she deleted it. Sad face. And that tweet, I, I retweeted it so I could keep track of it, um, got over 20,000 likes last time I checked. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly. And so I, in some ways that feels like a loss and a win at the same time. And and I'll explain why. And this is kind of a little nitty gritty on Twitter, but, uh, still want to share it. Oftentimes, uh, my followers are pretty much all conservative or, um, right leaning, at least on certain topics. Obviously, Shuan Head, for example, is not conservative per se, but we agree on a lot of topics. And so that's a fun relationship to have and and fun conversations are had there. But in this case, my tweet got seen by a lot of people who it was really meant to be seen by, right? It's, It's great to tweet something and have people who already agree with you affirm you and agree with you. Um, but for, I would say the first time my tweets reached a hostile audience, uh, a large hostile audience, thanks to, uh, Mrs. Darby, this account called Mrs. Darby. So, uh, and, and the original blackface tweet reached a fairly large audience as well. And, and I, last I checked, there were still screenshots of all of the tweets circulating. Even after I deleted, um, they were still circulating. And to this day, uh, like what, three days later, I'm still getting, um, those people, those drag Queens, uh, attacking my account very viciously for a little while there. I was like, I'm not going to retweet anybody I like because they're just going to find it. And then I'm just feeding my friends to this mob. So, but all that to say, I'm glad to have had the experience. I got some of the most horrendous DMs and it's like, this is the worst that exists right on the internet. It's just the internet. I've been told to kill myself a couple times. Uh, and now that I have had that happen, I know I can handle it. I know to handle it. And I had a moment of weakness in there where I deleted tweets and deleted more tweets than I, than I should have. Um, but I know that I'm going to do better in the future, just having the experience. So that was a really interesting moment on Twitter. And while I don't wish it on anyone, I also hope that talking about the experience will, um, kind of encourage and help anybody else when, if, when, uh, you have, um, a moment like that where your tweet gets picked up unexpectedly by a hostile crowd and you end up kind of on the front lines of things. They are vicious, awful people sometimes. I don't think every single Democrat is an awful, awful person. I think some of them are are sincere and want the world to be a good place and they just have, they're just mistaken about how the world works and how things are going to be. They've been lied to, all this stuff. But I think a lot of them, especially in the rainbow community for some reason, are horrific people. Um, 
willing to say horrible things. I, I have lost count of the number of, you, you kind of say death threats as a lump, lump uh, descriptor, but some of them are like, I want to kill you. I want to do you harm. Look out, watch your back, that kind of thing. Um, my favorite was, I can't wait to shove my knife in your spine or something like that. I posted it. I think a lot of you saw it. But often it's kill yourself. Um, and often it's, I wish this harm on you. It's not threatening to do it themselves necessarily. It's just, uh, my favorite of those was, I hope you get trampled by a herd of demented elephants. <laughs> that was like, like it's mean, but it's also so creative. I have to appreciate it. Like demented elephants, it's not enough to be just elephants. They have to be demented. I I thought that that one was really hilarious. So anyway, uh, with that beautiful image of me being trampled by demented elephants, I'm going to leave you um, looking forward to the Dobbs decision coming down. I have some fun content planned for when the Dobbs decision comes down. I have a couple people, uh, potential guests waiting in the wings to chat about that decision, one of whom is a young mom who has some really, really great views on pro-life that I want to, um, want to share with you, want to let her share with you. She's not on Twitter. So this would be the first time you've been, you'd ever hear her speak on anything. Um, and I'm really excited about that episode. I might try to put it out before Dobbs comes down, but I'm definitely keeping an eye on, uh, Dobbs for some fun content. So I will see you next week. Hopefully we will see the overturn of Roe v. Wade soon. Uh, and the end of drag for children at least. Anyway, see you on Twitter. Bye.